Now, to this point um, in our series, we've seen the different ways that Jesus handles uh, ministry. And what I mean uh, is that Jesus does things that are not instinctively the way we do them. I think we've kind of gotten that idea. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking, obviously, from beyond the fact that we don't do miracles. That's, that's the obvious thing that we do not do. But uh, what I'm saying is that, that Jesus mastered the counterintuitive ministry. The, the, all the things we think, that is what I would do. Jesus says, no, that's not what I would do. Here's what I would do over here. Uh, and he's successful with it. And it's not to say that's the only way he could have been successful. But that's the way he chose to do things. And in, in the way he did things, uh, we, we see that uh, a lot of the, the things that we can make as a part of our, uh, our public display of, of our faith, of what we believe in. Uh, so some examples, just as illustrations. right? We've, we have the priority and the goal that we want to make people happy. We want to make people happy, and we want, whenever we're figuring what we want to do in, in ministry and, and how we're going to conduct ourselves, we kind of want to please people. And that, that's the way, that, that's intuitive to us. We want, we want to get people in the doors, and the only way we're going to get people in the doors is to make people happy, right? If you, if you run a business, you send out all these different surveys, it's all these surveys that come at you everywhere. They're trying to figure out what makes you happy so that they can tailor their, their, their industry, whatever it is, towards you to get you to become a client. And Jesus goes in and he throws tables over. That's not what, yeah, uh, that's not the way I would, those aren't the types of things that I would do. He goes in and shocks people. We go, you know, I want to do something. I want to leave a big mark on, on society when I'm gone. And, and, and he goes and heals someone with some inflammation in their ankles. Like, okay. I mean, it was nice. But that wasn't a big thing. We want, everything we wanted Jesus to do has to be this huge, big thing, this big production. And that's not always what Jesus does. When we address ministry, a lot of times we, we want to go straight to the deep spiritual thing. I want to get straight to the talking about the soul and, and all that. And that's the vital part. That's the vital part of ministry. Don't, don't get me wrong. And Jesus says, I'm going, to, I'm going to go around a little bit and I'm going to address some physical things first. It might not be the way we think Jesus should do ministry, but he goes, that's the way I'm doing it. We're going to look at something that Jesus did that we always, or not always, want to do. In fact, a lot of times we don't want to do it. It's not that we don't think of it because our thought process is somewhere else. But it's just something that we like to avoid. That there's things in ministry that, that we would like to avoid. It, it's contrary to the to the priorities or whatever. And today we're talking about intimacy. The last several years we've discovered the joy of working at home. Right? Working from home. Some people have discovered why men like offices. 
There's a safe, a safe place from everything. Oh, it's nice to save on gas, though, especially this, this year, last, last year or so. Oh, it's nice to save on gas. But there's an intrusion, isn't there? We're, we're finding there's some collateral damage in this, this wonderful world of working from home. There's a further level of intrusion. Used to be, you went to work and you had a sticky note. Right? You remember those days? And then came the beeper. Oh, and that was a level of intrusion. I remember the beeper. I go, what's a beeper? Remember that? Remember that? Ah! It was intrusion into my personal life. Well, we've done flown past that. Then the cell phone came along. And now your boss is like, ah! It's been 30 seconds since I texted you. You haven't got back. My world is falling apart. The company's apparently going to fall apart because the boss can't get a hold of me in 30 seconds. How did it survive? You know, a company's 125 years of whatever. How did it survive until the cell phone? But it did. All the intrusion. Company has become too intimate into my life. And you're saying, yeah, preach. Except, except Christ let his work get close to him. Christ was intimate with his ministry. I want to talk, we're going to look at two illustrations of this today. I want to turn to Luke chapter 8 to begin. Luke 8, beginning in verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that a multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there was a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. And for he had a daughter who was about 12 years old. She was dying. And as he went, the multitudes congregated around him and a woman had the flow of blood for 12 years I assume that means a hemophiliac of some sort uh, she spent all of her wealth on physicians who couldn't be healed by any of them she came from behind and touched the hem of his garment and immediately her bleeding stopped and Jesus said who touched me oh everyone denied it Peter and those with them said, Master, the multitude has been gathering around you and, and, and pressing upon you, and you're saying, who touched you? But Jesus says, no, somebody touched me, for I perceived the power going out from me. And the woman saw that she could not be hidden. She came and trembled and fell down in front of him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you will go in peace. And he goes on to heal the daughter of Jairus. I am often in the habit of getting interrupted with one task. I mean interrupting myself. I'm doing something 
and, uh, and then another task comes upon me in the process of doing that. And all of a sudden, I find myself in my garage, like, I came in here for a tool, and I'm not sure which one it was. I, 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 don't, I don't even remember what I was doing. I, I got distracted on the way down the stairs, and I saw something else that needed to be done, or <laughs> do something, and I distracted myself with another task. I'm like, ah, now I've got to go back upstairs, go into the bathroom, remember what tool it was. Okay, now I remember what it was. And, and that's, that, that, that happens. And, and here we see Jesus distracted. He's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. He's going to do it from a distance. Or what amazing thing that Jesus can do. And he like, gets distracted with another healing task. Right? That's Jesus' ministry. It's like, wow, Jesus had kind of went through the same things as I go through. Go through the Menards check. All oh, this happens all the time. Go through the Menards checkout line. I'm almost out to the car. Or sometimes I'm home and I realize that I didn't get what I went there for. I'm like, oh, the, the plumbing section distracted me. I was going for something electrical. Ugh. Gotta go back. Good thing I live close. And so our attention can be drawn to so many places in this. Oh, the Jairus' daughter is amazing. A thought that comes. Did Jesus heal this woman accidentally? Did, I, know, I didn't intend to heal her. I really don't think that's what happened. What, was this a surprise to Jesus? don't think it was a surprise. Now, I think as we get into the details, we understand why Jesus is asking the questions he's asking. And why the woman is healed. I don't think he performed a miracle without knowing it. I think that he knew exactly what happened the whole time. I think he knew what was going to happen before it happened. But when we read this, I think we are probably more impressed with what Jesus was going to do. Healing Jairus' daughter from a great distance. Not even having to go there. That's impressive. But this morning I would like us to be more impressed, just for a moment, by this woman in this situation than Jairus' daughter. <clears throat> I want to look at the significance of this miracle. Because as you observe this woman, I want you to see a woman with no self-confidence. Well, she's got a good reason not to have any confidence. She spent everything she owns. She's invested everything that she has in healing this sickness. And this is her last shot. So, so she's, and she doesn't even have the confidence to ask anymore. She's going to try to steal a miracle. <laughs> That's what she's going to try to do. Now maybe it's because she's not quite, you know, if I just reach out and I'm healed, that would be great. But if, if it doesn't work, then I didn't have to, I didn't have to go out on a limb and, and ask for something that couldn't be done. And this is kind of free. I don't have to spend any money on it. I don't know what, what the entire thought process is. But I don't believe she's a woman with self-worth. And I think you get that from, from, everyone's like, I didn't do it. Now she's right there. She could say, yeah, it was me. But she doesn't either. But Jesus turns and he knows, and it says, she knew that she couldn't be hidden. In other words, Jesus is like, uh, who touched me? 
Right? Like, he knew exactly who it was. Uh, I can't be hidden. <laughs> Everyone's finally looking at her. Oh, okay, yeah, it was me. I confess, I did it. She doesn't even dare ask for a miracle. That's how beaten down she is. And one, another thing of significance is this miracle is going to make him unclean. Ceremonially. It's not going to make him be a sinner. Blood makes you unclean. It's in the story of the Samaritan. A right, man addressing a, and why, why the priests and the Levites want to go around and not get near this dude that's been beaten up because it's going to affect their ability to go in the temple and do their duties and all this. It's the same idea. After this miracle, which Jesus knows is coming, he's going to be unclean. It's it, blood. I mean, blood's kind of gross anyway. Even if you're not like a religious Jew, it's kind of gross. It's ugh. And so there's, there's a lot of implications into this miracle. But I want to kind of adapt a lesson from it. Jesus allows himself to be touched. I, I can't allow myself to do miracles by people touching my clothing. But to be effective, I'm going to have to allow intimacy. I'm going to have to allow myself to be touched, in a sense. We consider ministries. Are we looking at things that we can do where we don't have to get close to people? I can send a check, nice and clean, no dirty. You stay there, I stay here, and it's nice. In order to get close to people, though, I have to make myself available. That's another issue. I have to be where the people are, pressing in around me. Now, many are willing to interact with you. Many people are willing to interact with others. But we like sometimes, I think, as people to have the safe space. I can interact with you and then go back to my, my office where it's nice and neat and I'm segmented from every my little cubicle or whatever. I don't think they have cubicles anymore, but it is harder to allow ourselves to get close to people where I can't escape from being touched, physically or metaphorically. And Jesus gives us a look at intimacy. I want to look at one other, one other example. And that's in Mark chapter 7. 
And we're going to begin in verse 31. Mark 7, 31. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. And they brought to him one who was deaf, who had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, which is... In the Syriac, be opened. Immediately, his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly, and he commanded them that they should tell no one. The more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He's done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. No, oh, a lot of interesting things in here. There's a lot of interesting things. A lot of time has probably been spent on a question which we can't really answer. Was Jesus using reverse psychology so that they would actually talk more about him? Knowing that if he's... I don't know. Why wouldn't he want news about him to spread and all the sorts of questions? Uh, Many talk about the curiosity of this miracle... And we are going to look at some of the details. It's kind of gross. Another grossness to a miracle. Was Jesus just trying to shock people by spitting on a guy? No, I don't think so. This one we are going to talk about because it's relevant. And I think Jesus is still trying in a really weird way to us. We'll go through some of the details of this miracle and look at how Jesus is trying to establish closeness, some intimacy to somebody. I want you to look at the man's condition, first of all. So, we know that he's deaf. Now, it gives another word, talks about an impediment, which is not the word mute. Um... Now, I, don't, I assume it was a severe impediment. Because as we look at the, after the miracle, when you know stories get bigger as they get told, right? Uh, that's just how it happens. As this story gets told by people who Jesus just said not to tell it to, the man has become mute in the, in the, in the retelling of the story. Now, he only had an impediment. So I assume... Maybe I shouldn't do that. That it was really severe if, if he suddenly become mute in, in the exaggeration of it. It wasn't just a guy, a guy with like a slight stutter. This was someone with some serious communication problems. And so, so we have a guy who has a very limited ability. He has vision, but he has a limited ability to be communicated with. And, and he doesn't really have the ability to communicate back without at least taking a lot of time. And so I think what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to communicate in a strange way. Sometimes you are 
forced to communicate in a strange way. We visited Poland to redo our visas. We had to do that. It was a lot cheaper to go to a nearby European country to go to an embassy there than to fly all the way back. Plus, the, the flying is awful, even if it was cheap. Uh, so we ended up in Poland. Now, they don't speak Russian in Poland. A lot of former Soviet countries speak Russian. Poland doesn't. They don't even speak like Ukrainian that well, even though it's related, kind of. So I needed to change money. I've got dollars, and they do stuff either in Zloch, I think it's called, or Euros at that time. I've got, I've got Ukrainian grivna and I've got dollars. So I need to find an exchange. They don't have the same word. It's not even the same word. I'm, I, I tried the Russian word, hoping maybe it's close. No. Well, I know where there is one. So I've got a taxi driver with no English and no Russian, and I've got to get to an exchange office. Now, I knew where there was one in town, and that was by the train station where we came in on the day earlier. So I tried the Russian word for train. No, not happening. English word, train, no. This guy knows not a single word in English or Russian. Sound effects. I'm good at sound effects. So I went choo-choo. Guess what? European trains are electric. They don't know a steam engine sound. <laughs> in Europe, as I find out, trains go kachuk kachuk. Because they have all the electric stuff, so they only make the rail noise. Oh, man, you got to get creative. So finally, I'm like, all right, I got to draw it. You know, So I draw a steam engine train, because that's, and he got that picture. He's like, oh, ka-chuk, ka-chuk. Yeah, like, oh, we got there. You got to get creative when you communicate sometimes, right? And that's what he's doing here throughout this whole thing is, being creative in communicating. I want to begin with a detail. Now Mark writes this. John Mark was not likely there for this. So the details that he presents were communicated to him, possibly by Peter, I believe is a relative, or some apostle. But the details that get mentioned are interesting. It mentions that Jesus sighed. Is that interesting to you? It just gets lost. Well, a sigh is very visible. You know that when, when like someone's frustrated, you right? We notice our kids do that. When they when they want to express that they're unhappy with something. Like you could be deaf as a post and get that. And, and Jesus sighs. It's, it's noticeable to the apostles. Whoever relays this detail, Jesus sighed. I mean, we remember Jesus wept. That's, we, everybody knows, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Jesus sighed is not so famous. <laughs> but he's expressing compassion for someone who might not get it. 
visibly, I'm really, I really feel for your situation. He sighs. How many of you had to learn how to smile? Remember with masks, the eye smile. You ever get anybody do that, the eye smile? Because you can't see anything? Some people are good at it. Amy is a whole face smiler. Right? When she comes in, her whole face says, I'm smiling at you. So she didn't have to practice this. Some of us had to learn how to eye smile. Because that's the only way with this mask on that you could communicate some positivity to people in the, anywhere you go. And so Jesus is trying to communicate emotions to this man. And he says something interesting. He says to him, Ephatha. Why is that? That's, a, that, that's something out of the ordinary. Why does Jesus do this? Now the man is in Nazareth. Which means he spoke some Greek. Right? Everybody spoke Greek. A little bit. Now he's up north. Where Jesus has come down has come down from Syria. He's up over by Tyre and Sidon. Which is not too far from Damascus. So he says this in Syriac. The Greek word for this, which everyone would have known, is a word called dianoigo. Now you heard that. I want you to be deaf for a second and watch me say that. Dianoigo. I didn't even move my lips. It's all right here. And so Jesus says, Ephatha. Oh, if you read lips, you get that. You, that's all right here. Be healed. Jesus is finding a way to communicate with this man. He's going out of his way to try to, to let this man know where the miracle is coming from. And connect. This man does not interact with people. And Jesus is getting intimate with this man in what limited way he can. And then the grossness. The grossness of it all. Like, that's weird. But as I say, when we communicate, sometimes we've got to get creative. And, and that's how Jesus chooses to do this. Like, I'm doing something for you. I'm, I'm helping you. So that it's not just mystical out of the air and all of a sudden, hey. And then I've got to explain it later. And Jesus, Jesus is like, I'm doing for you. Intimacy. That's the point of ministry. I mean... The final point of ministry is to get people to heaven. That's, that's what we want to do. It, it's beyond doing nice things for people. Jesus could have done a nice thing for this guy without all, all the weirdness, without the sighing, without the spitting. 
He could have just let the woman be healed and walk away, but it was beyond that. It's for them to understand where the things that are good for them are coming from. It's, it's for us to connect positive things with God. That's the point of ministry. So doing things from a distance will help. Writing checks will help. Sometimes, I mean, we're involved in a ministry in Africa. There's not a lot that we can do over there. So we write checks. We do some communication, but that's very limited. But when we're talking about things that we do in our area, attempting to keep our hands clean can only give a physical improvement to people's lives. It's very hard to make that connection without intimacy. And we will only help people if we are intimate with those that we want to help. So that is going to mean going to places that are uncomfortable. Whether literal or metaphorically. It means dirtying our hands and doing things we find gross, literally or metaphorically. And it's going to mean letting people, not just going to where they are, but letting people in to your world. It, it, it's going out of our way to, to go to where they are. That, that, that sometimes moves us past where I want to be. But to let them into my house? That's a step closer. And Jesus says, come into my sphere. Come into my circle and press upon me and get healing. We've got to let people in. And that is hard. That's hard. We don't like. My personal space is my personal space. That was hard to get used to. Cam's got a little European in him. I know this. I'm okay with it, Cam. I lived in Europe for 11 years. I mean, people come right up to you and just like, Whoa, hey, how are you doing today? <laughs> Whoa, man, back up. I'm used to it. I'm okay with it. That's just different cultures. But, but we're like that sometimes emotionally, spiritually. We're like, okay, you're getting close now. God says... You've got to learn some intimacy. You've got to learn to open up, kind of break down that hard two and a half feet border that you've got. And let people in. Relationships are what are going to affect people. Communication is what's going to affect people, and we are going to have to get creative. People don't always get it. We might have to be creative with our communication. But whatever we do, we're going to have to learn to be intimate.